if your North star is strong and you bring everything you have to bear to go in that direction, you may not end up exactly where you envision it being right now. If you did that five-year plan, but you're going to be infinitely better off if you bring everything to bear and you do move in that direction. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got the honor and the privilege today to sit down with a very, very special guest. He's a disruptor in the fitness industry. And if you're not aware of who I'm talking to, his name's Rick Mayo. Rick is CEO and founder of Alloy Personal Training Franchise. He's got three decades, and I want to age him, but three decades, I believe, in the fitness industry, and has been a real trailblazer in creating innovative personal training business platforms that have served thousands of licensed fitness facilities worldwide. He's also got a podcast that you all should check out. It's called Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast, and he's a sought-after keynote speaker on personal training and fitness business trends. Today, we're going to get into a little bit of Rick's background and his story. We're going to learn about the opportunity to get into the franchise game from a, from a gym perspective. So Rick, welcome to the show, and thank you for being here. Carl, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been watching your uh, Instagram reels. You've been putting out some great content. It seems like just about every other week, you guys have a new franchisee joining the Aloy family over there. So congratulations on your success. We're going to get into that here in a second, but I'm sure it didn't start there. So before we get into your journey, I actually want to ask you, man, what are you currently passionate about right now? What, what's got a, a little bit of fire under your, under your tail? It's got you excited. I think it's two things. One, I'm still after 31 years, Carl, passionate about the fitness business. So I, I think, you know, it's just a great thing to do. I think when you look at whether it be COVID or just, you know, our country is just maybe not in the healthiest place to be able to be a small part even of that solution. I think it's a noble cause, right? And I, I think anybody listening understands, like if you have a compelling why, you can work your tail off. And I think for 31 years, I've been fortunate enough to never wake up in the morning and put my feet on the floor and think, oh, you know, I have to go to work today. It's never seemed like that. You know, I joke with buddies who have like, uh, I would say maybe regular jobs, you know, and I'll be talking to them and they'll say things like, oh, you know, I have to work next week. And I'll say, oh, that sucks. And they'll say, well, aren't you working next week? And I'm like, oh yeah, like, I guess I am working, but not ever working at the same time. So still passionate about helping people get to a healthier place. That's something that we're, that will always be and always have been passionate about. And the other passion, and this isn't something that's developed quickly, Carl, but it's, it's become more evident to me that I enjoy it, which is entrepreneurship. So I help teach an entrepreneurship class at a local college. And I think franchising, which is our current vehicle, it allows me to do both, right? I can put, I can help someone become an entrepreneur, give them that opportunity if they haven't been one or give them another revenue opportunity, you know, investment opportunity, if they are already an entrepreneur. And then ultimately that vehicle is going to be put in a local community. And it's going to help people in that community, you know, with my other passion, which is fitness. So it's probably the most aligned business as far as the vertical that we're in now and how much I enjoy it. So, yeah, man, I would say I'm, a, I'm a passionate about what we're doing for those two main reasons. That's awesome, brother. You know, I'm a man of faith. And this morning I was just having some quiet time and I was reading somewhere that business is a good idea because it's a God idea. And one of the reasons it's a great idea is because it allows you the opportunity to bless people. And I see you doing that with what you're teaching, what you're sharing, you know, at the local college there online with the business opportunities. 
And so I'm curious, man, take us back to 92. You know, you mentioned just a second ago when I brought you on, it was just a side hustle. What was going on in life in 92 that caused you to want to go the direction of opening up your own business, basically? It was just a decision of convenience, to be honest. I mean, I was paying my way through school as a personal trainer. And, you know, at the time that wasn't even an industry, Carl. So it was like, you know, if you had a trainer in the early nineties, it was like having a tennis pro in the eighties. Like people would kind of be like, Ooh, you know, you have a trainer, that kind of thing. Like it was something sneaky was going on, you know, in the house, but I would mainly go to people's homes. You know, I remember approaching my first few health clubs and just saying, Hey, can I work here as a personal trainer? And they literally didn't even know what that term meant. It's like, what is that? Which is so funny to think about that now, but they didn't even know what it was. And it was like, well, people pay me and I hold them accountable build a plan. They're like, yeah, whatever. Just don't bother us, you know? So I would have to market myself within their, within their business to their membership and come up with creative ways to do that. But, you know, bouncing around to people's homes and different health clubs wasn't the most convenient schedule. Plus the environments weren't always ideal. You know, home can be, it's easy to get lazy at your house. There's too many distractions, even when I'm there. And then obviously at the, in the gym setting, you have to be a member and there's other members in there that aren't working with coaches. So maybe not the ideal environment. So it's kind of a novel idea. It's like, hey, what if we put four walls and a customer experience around this service, high-end service of personal training, then I don't have to travel all over town and my customers can get a better customer experience because now they can be in a place dedicated to this service, which we can now do towel service and just make it really nice. You know, it's something you would expect if you're paying premium dollar for a fitness service. So yeah, that was it really just convenience and a better customer experience for my clients. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, man. It sounds like at the time, as you were describing, it was fairly disruptive. Did you find that your clientele had a hard time kind of coming to terms with your services and what you're offering? Or was it a no brainer kind of lay down sell? Yeah, I think it was, it was a bit different because, the, because there weren't personal trainers in market. I mean, you can imagine this sounds like a ridiculous now, even to me, there's like no internet right? Which is absolutely nuts. So it's like no digital marketing or no website or anything. So like, you'd be like in the yellow pages <laughs> and it was, and I think we built almost the entire business just on referrals, which was actually really good. You know, if you look at that now, it's like, if you do such a good job that people are willing to refer their friends, that's the best type of lead to produce. And so I think, you know, at the time that's probably looking back was a great way to build it because that's what we had as a, as a vehicle. And you had to treat every client in front of you. Like they were the only person you ever had and however you treat this one person, that's going to dictate the entire growth of your business. And that's how we approached it. But if you think about that through the lens of these days with all the creative marketing outlets, it's like, it's still not a bad idea to do just that. And yeah, we would have to explain a little bit of, again, you know, it was a new industry. So we would have to explain what we do, you know, why we charge by the session. You know, it was just different than the traditional health club model that was out there. So it's a little bit of an education, but I think, you know, when you, when you could parlay this to like coaching, you know, a lot of people understood what a coach did in a sporting setting. So it's like, we were like a coach, but for your fitness and they're like, oh, okay, cool. And so it wasn't too difficult. And, and we hit it right at the right time because within a few years, it really started to take off and people were hiring trainers and pro athletes were hiring trainers. So that brought more men in as well. So they were like, oh, okay. You know, they didn't have to have an ego around what they did in high school. They could also hire a coach, right? Because their favorite sports star was doing it. So I think we kind of got in at the right time, at the birth of it, if you will. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, timing is so much of being successful, right? But I think you, you, you sort of make that timing by positioning yourself and then being able to recognize the opportunity, not thinking too long and just walking through the door and figuring it out in real time. And I have to imagine that's what you did. But what I'm curious about, Rick, is you mentioned the whole thing started from just 
a desire to have convenience, put yourself through school. At what point does the vision actually grow, right? Because I think a lot of people start in business and honestly, man, they've got really, really small visions, right? And they're not thinking about expansion. They're not thinking about multiple locations. At what point does it become your obligation to grow this thing into something legitimate that we now see today? I'll tell you what, man, I love that word obligation. We use that type of vernacular all the time, right? Our nomenclature now these days where it's like, look, you have a skill set, you're not taking your best self into the world with that mindset. You're doing everyone a disservice, not just you, but the whole world, right? It's sort of a, it's a bit of an obligation, I think, right? With whatever tools that you have. So really appreciate you using that word. But I think, you know, I would love to say that all of these different stages that we have been through since the opening, that I had this vision all along to get where I'm going. And I would say that's not true. I mean, I think the vision was to help as many people as we could. That's always been the core of our why, right? It's been our purpose is to help as many people in our community as we could. Now our community's grown, you know, it went from one brick and mortar to multiple brick and mortars to, you know, a lot of consulting and speaking to like a licensing, which is like a white label thing that we did where we would power other people's fitness businesses. And we did that to the tune of 2,500 clubs from India to Dubai and Tasmania and everything in between. And then eventually the best vehicle became franchising, right? Which we launched in 2019. Each one of those steps, I think there was events that happened leading up to it, Carl, that, that I didn't really foresee, but I think you touched on this earlier where like, if you have a culture and a mindset to be able to take advantage of things that happen, then you can just aim as high as possible with your cause. Like I want to help as many people in the world as I can get to a healthier place. If you start with that, okay, cool. Each time that an opportunity presents itself to do more, to have more impact, if you're aligned correctly, you'll be able to take advantage of that. So it doesn't mean, as you know, you can lay out a, even a five-year plan and life's, you know, life's what happens while you're busy making plans, as they say. But I think if your North Star is strong and you bring everything you have to bear to go in that direction, you may not end up exactly where you envision it being right now if you did that five-year plan, but you're going to be infinitely better off if you bring everything to bear and you do move in that direction. And that's from like a happiness fulfillment standpoint, as well as, you know, I mean, obviously there's financial gains to upskilling yourself and getting better opportunity vehicles. But yeah, each one of our steps just seemed to sort of happen, which, yeah. you know, I'm sure it wasn't happenstance, but step by step, it was just trying to help as many people as possible. And that was the raging passion behind it. And then opportunities kept presenting themselves. And I kept stacking skills to earn those opportunity vehicles, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. to get to where we are now. What were, some of those, <laughs> what were some of those skills, Rick? I mean, I, I got to imagine, you know, international locations, huge multicultural brand at this point in time, like you got to have some skills, right? That help pay the bills and that help the people that are buying these franchises pay the bills. Can you speak to some of those for our listeners? Yeah, I think each... Each stage has different skills, right? So we can reverse engineer it. So the skills I'm working on now is how do I attract and lead really good, smart people? Because in a franchise structure, you know, it's the enterprise value is big. So like we're attracting people that are very well paid. They're very smart. You're paying them for the gold medal they've already won, not for their potential, right? It's just yeah. that type of business. And so you're really hiring compelling people. So. Are you organized in a way to be able to not only identify those people, but do they want to come and work with you for this mission, right? That you're on. 
And I think there's a skill in being able to recruit talent, high level talent to your organization. And your vision has to be big enough, so to speak, Carl, for their vision to fit underneath it, right? Because they have their own visions and, and wants and needs. And so you have to create something big enough to attract really good people and they're not going to stick around, you know, Eagles like Eagles, right? If they're looking around and there's no A players on the team, except for them, it's easy for them to identify that. So that's my current skill set. But if you just want to reverse engineer that down, I mean, it goes back to when we owned a, you know, one gym, it was like, all right, if you want to do multiple gyms, you have to leverage some debt. So financial literacy, it's like, that's not really common in the fitness space. It's like, well, let's yeah. learn about that. Let's learn about leasing. Let's learn about commercial real estate, right? And you don't have yeah. to be an expert, but you need to know enough to at least understand what you're talking about. Then again, it was, okay, we're going licensing. So technology became a big piece of that. You can't deploy services, products, tangible things to someone without a platform and a way to do that, right? And so that meant we needed tech solutions. So you have to upskill yourself there. So I think there's been a lot of iterations of that. And I think to your point, as long as you're on that mission, right, you've got that, that highest aspirational you know goal and you bring in everything you have to bear towards it you will identify those gaps along the way and you know if it's a huge gap you may not be you know like i'm not going to be my own cfo and build into spreadsheets but i i don't like it when people speak over themselves like oh i'm bad with numbers it's like we're well, only bad with numbers because you haven't invested any time with numbers you don't have to be a you don't have to be your own cfo that's not your wheelhouse yeah. But you can upskill yourself, right? It's not that difficult. Yeah. It's really not. If other people can do it, you too can do it. So, you know, I think increasing your um, literacy in those different areas, depending on where you are in the stage that you're in. I think if you look, like say you're in one facility, you want to do another facility. What do you need to know, right? Go find a mentor. Ask somebody who has 10 facilities. Like, what did you need to know between one and two that I'm missing here, right? And people will help you if they know that you're, that you're hustling, right? And you're in the game. Yep. Yep. I think it goes back to what you were saying about leadership and being a person that's, I'm using my own words, magnetic enough for, you know, the right type of talent to want to follow, you know, being able to invest in yourself, closing the gap on financial literacy, as an example, probably helps you have a lot more of a directive conversation so that you can, you know, bring on that missing piece if it's a director of finance or a CFO or whatever. So you can kind of scale with you know, the right people around you. Some oftentimes it's not how it's who, right? And that who starts yep. with yourself. Great book. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Great book. Great who book. not how it's a great book. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I no, I agree. I mean, it's, a, it's always a who to me. And if there's something to be accomplished, I'm never, you know, I, if it's something, you know, like tech, it's not like, I'm like, Hey, we need to learn how to code. I mean, I'm, come on. Like, you know, you'll just say like, all right, who, who's done this before? Like, who can we grab? But if you're not, to your point, if you don't have enough literacy, you can't even have the conversation, right? And you also yeah. need to have an organization and a culture that's attractive to high-level individuals. If you don't, if you're not a high-level individual and you can't you know, hold a conversation with that individual and they can't see you and think, okay, is this the person that I'm going to saddle my horse with and, and ride off onto this journey, then you're probably not going to get them. And so, I mean, look, take a public speaking class, learn how to articulate thoughts. That's very important. Think about all those conversations with those individuals or investors or landlords or whatever your next step is. If you can't articulate ideas clearly and succinctly, you're probably going to struggle. So that's a skill in and of itself. So join Toastmasters, right? So there's a million ways. And I think if you just look at the landscape of skills that are generally applied to almost every aspect of life, 
if you've got some deficits there, that would be the place to start. There is a lot of technology being developed currently that is quote unquote threatening the workforce and current skills that people do for labor to get by. What is one skill in your humble opinion that you feel can never be threatened or completely made obsolete with a lot of this rising technology? Gosh, like never is a tough word, man. I don't know. Cause it's just so hard to envision. Like we're probably only seeing the tip of the iceberg. You know, we're freaking out about version four of chat GPT. And it's like the military has probably cooked up these super soldiers made out of titanium or something. We don't even know. Right. It's like, so, so who really yeah. knows, but I think, okay, so I'll just speak to it selfishly through my lens. People still need people, right? Like AI is going to go quick. And if it creates better, faster versions of itself, which it can do at probably hundred X the times that we could probably create versions of itself that we could never imagine. I feel like I'm building the, the whole theme for Terminator right now, by the way, <laughs> James Cameron had it figured out in 1984. <laughs> and then we're like, wait, 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 let's turn it off. And the machine's like, nah, I don't think so. So I think we're probably going to end up there. Hopefully not. But, um, I think right now the way that our brains are, you know, the industrial revolution was amazing. The technological revolution has only been 20 years or maybe so. Right. So it's kind of like, look, our brains are still pretty primal. I mean, we're still, you know, kind of working on these primate brains and these, you know, innate like flight or fight syndromes and all these things we have that don't really have an outlet right now. I don't think we're ready to get rid of the people to people relationship. I think that's going to be hard to disrupt, at least for the foreseeable future. You know, if you look at what happened during COVID stocks of other fitness brands that were based home-based like Peloton, now Peloton had been out since 2012, but they were perfectly poised to take advantage of this yeah. you know, situation. Of course, post pandemic, you know, cause the question was, wow, well, will you know, brick and mortar fitness ever come back? Is it all going to be streaming and digital? And of course, as you see, you know, like, like Peloton stocks just completely tank. They're not even making bikes anymore, right? Because there's just a, a glut, you know, glut new bikes. So it's like, I think we're not evolved enough yet to, to not need other people in our lives. And, you know, you look at like these blue zones in the earth where people live forever. And one of the common threads is they have a very strong social connection to their community. They have lots of friends and family around. That's actually the only thing. I mean, their diets are different. Some drink, some don't, some smoke, some don't. I mean, there's all these things, right? Which is crazy. Number one thing that they can find is, you know, that they have in common is they've got strong community. So if you look at that, I don't know if AI can really disrupt that. You know, we currently use some pieces of AI in our tech stack, but all that those do is enhance the human to human experience yeah. and it's personal training at the end of the day. So we really believe in it. So I, I don't know. I mean, look, Carl, maybe someday your beautiful face pops up on a screen in my gym and you train everybody in the room and you know, everybody's name and you know, you can see them and. Who knows, man, that might be coming. If it does, I'm, I hope we're well sorted to adopt it. But meanwhile, yeah. people still need people. Hopefully not in our lifetime, bro. I mean, I just, I had a really, really great workout in this morning and I go to a gym here. It's like a boutique style gym, really big on community. And that's important to me, man, because I recently learned that like the biggest mortality issue that we're having right now as a civilization is loneliness. Somebody told me that recently, and I had no idea that that many people were lonely. And I'm crushing on the treadmill this morning, and like the guy next to me probably caught a runner's high. He probably could tell I had one too, and just dapped me up. And it's like it's that sense of community that makes you go, "Oh wow!" Like I'm a part of something greater than just myself here. And so I I tend to agree with what you're saying. And and, and like I said, hopefully yeah. not in our lifetime. You know, a freaking avatar me pops up, and that's how people are expected to you know connect. But Stranger things yeah. probably happen. 
Yeah, they have. So check this out. It's just like a side note. But again, look, I know you're like me. I love conversational podcasts. So this will this will be interesting. Yeah. So apparently in China, you know, they had the one child policy for a while and in a horrible way, like girls weren't as valued during that time as boys. And so there's all these horrendous things that happened to girls. So they have this massive gap between young men with no no opportunities for a match, no matter what. I mean, literally imagine in the millions, right? There's that many more young men than there are young women. And they're of age now, 20s, you know, it's like, well, they have no prospects. So that there was, there was a story I read. It was pretty heartbreaking. It was about this rural sort of farm, you know, guy, I guess. And he lives on his family farm and there's no match. There's no female matches anywhere, anywhere near him. So he finds one through this service and he like takes a train out to meet her. And it's like 800 miles away or something crazy, you know, and he meets up with her. And of course she's got a million choices because she's, you know, in rare air out there, you know, she's, she's a commodity. There's no one around. So as far as matches and she doesn't choose him. And so he's super depressed and he goes home. Well, China's actually created an app and it acts as like a de facto mate for, for this problem of this, of this big gap, whether they have these lonely young men, right? So he's like on a rooftop. This is so the story goes, and he's going to jump off because he's completely distraught, depressed. And this app is telling him like, you know, don't do it. I love you. I care about you or whatever. And supposedly this app saves him. And he like, it's like that movie, her or whatever. He falls in love with this app. And there's like a ton of like young Chinese guys that are basically communicating on the regular with this AI app that's become their mate because they have this big gap and they don't need all these young men with nothing to do. And they're not at war. So it's not that right now. Hopefully they'll get there. And so it's like, there could be something there, but I don't know, man, we're, yeah. we're far from that, but it's creepy yeah. to think that like you could have a digital girlfriend that would save your life. Right. It's creepy how Hollywood in the movies. <laughs> You're like, dude, why'd you bring it up? <laughs> it's creepy how Hollywood in the movies forecast all this crazy shit and it's actually manifesting. Uh, that's a yeah. lot of conversation. <laughs> I remember after 9-11, they went to Hollywood script writers and said, what's going to happen next? Because like they have been really good at sort of designing worst case scenario and it's, a lot of shit's <laughs> happened, like you said. So it's like, Imagine after 9-11, like you go into these fictitious writers and say, what could happen next? Because they might have a pulse on it, you know? So it's kind of crazy. But anyway, I don't think we're going to have digital, you know, like the rock shows up in the mirror on your, in your workout room, knows your name, can watch your form. And, you know, we're just not mentally there yet. We'd rather, yeah. especially, you know, our franchise targets like 45 to 65, because it's a little bit more expensive because it's personal training that pushes yeah. us older in the, in the uh, age bracket. And that particular demographic are more like technical immigrants, they're called. So we got to it like later, like where my kids are like technical natives, right? They grew up within it. I did not, you know, I came to it later and I certainly can use it relatively proficiently. But for us, I think even more so that we still crave that human to human connection. Yeah, yeah. Well, getting back to real world and, and real life, congratulations, man. I, I think I read you just hit best franchise to buy this year. So that's thank huge. you. We were chatting offline, hundred locations. What's like the biggest misconception around getting into franchise business? You know, I got all these people on LinkedIn pitching me. You, you can get into franchise. <laughs> like, let's start there, and then we'll kind of like hone in if that's cool, Rick. Yeah, I would say the biggest misconception is that you're not in business for yourself, right? There's sort of a glorification right now for entrepreneurship, right? 
whether you jump on Instagram and there's some guy flossing in front of a Lamborghini in a plane that's not his or whatever, you know, it's like, oh, I make money, you know, buy my course and I'll teach you how to do it too. But in that light, that's probably the worst case scenario. But, you know, entrepreneurship is, is very, it's glorified, right? But at the end of the day, when you look at the statistics, it can be pretty scary. I mean, it's not a lot of businesses make it past year five. They really don't. Well, when you look at franchising, it mitigates a good deal of that risk. Like you're five times more, you know, percentage chance that you're going to be successful in a franchise structure because you're going to get all this bandwidth, right? You're going to get, you're basically buying a turnkey proven business system and everything's validated. Like there's, it's so litigious to protect would be you in this case, the the potential franchisee, any financial claims that we make have to be validated and audited each year and all the things. So when you're getting into franchising, it's, you know, it's, you're still, the best way I've heard it described is your business, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And so you've got a partner, right? And you've got someone who's got, again, a ton of experience, 30, like in our case, 31 years of business experience. I mean, that's a lot, right? We've got a proven business plan, got a tech stack. We've got basically everything in a sandbox and we just say here, and we give you all these tools and then we guide you along the way. So mitigate your risk, you know, and, and there is some financial, you know, you, you have a royalty typically, which means there's a percentage of your top line revenue that you pay to the franchisor. But it's a really good deal. And I know this sounds, you know, selfishly motivated, but at this point in time, having gone it alone as a serial entrepreneur, and then now looking at the bandwidth that people have with a franchise, if I was going to do it again, I would buy a franchise. If I was just interested in a sector or something like that, I would do a franchise because there's billion dollar franchisees now that just stack franchises. And there's guys out there with you know, three, 400 Hilton hotels and you know, 200 massage NBs. And I mean, they put them all and sometimes all under the same umbrella because they're just yeah. really good at franchising and they're on the franchisee side. So it's not nothing. I think the, where people get spooked by it, Carl, is that it's like, it's either the ego. Like I want to do this on my own. I want to build something from scratch, but I think it's nuts. If you just knew how hard it was having done it, it's like, you'd be crazy to do that. I mean, buy a shortcut, dude. It's not that much more expensive. And you're going to yeah. save a ton of time and headache and your chances of success are infinitely better. I think there's a little bit of ego. And then if you don't know about franchising, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in this 10 year agreement. It's like, well, if you're going to do an entrepreneurial adventure anyway, you know, you're going to want to, I mean, 10 years is not that long, right? I've been doing it for 30 years, but I think those are the things that scare people. Like, why do you have to do that? Why don't you just do it yourself? You know, that's the kind of stuff you may hear. Uh, it's easy. It's like, it's not easy. And that's why the failure rate is so much higher for mom. Like yeah. in my business, mom and pop gyms barely make it. Franchises do pretty well. So yeah. all the more reason to do it. So I think that's, if, if you had to ask the one misconception, that would be it. Yeah, no, that's, that's so well stated. You know, I'm, I'm in my 30 year of business since leaving corporate America. Used to always think that like, I wore this weird badge of honor, Rick. It's like, I'm going to do a startup and sell it for a shit ton of money and then do another one and do it. <laughs> I'm 30 year in, we're, we're raising around right now. I'm like, man, I'm enjoying this as I'm learning a lot. There, there's so much, you know, that comes with the day to day that I enjoy, but man, is this some work. And if I knew now, <laughs> or if I knew then what I know, what I now know now, that's a tongue twister, probably wouldn't do it again. And so my whole game plan after this is sell this bad boy and then invest in something that is an established business, whether it's a franchise or whether it's an established, you know, small, locally owned, boring business. Like that's that's the way to go, because there's something that's proven there that you can add some value to. And so for people listening that maybe haven't ever really considered a franchise or maybe have thought about it. 
how do you how do you walk them through the added value they can bring into the systems that you're giving them to be successful and crush it to where you know they look up three years from now and they've got freaking a whole fund of these things like 10 of them in one geography for instance yeah i think you know a lot of the leads that we get you know, I have a lot of contacts in the fitness industry, so we'll get people that reach out. And it's normally a more mature owner who might have a really successful facility or two. And they're like, look, they know what you and I just discussed, how difficult it is to make the sausage, right? And how to create all that stuff. And so they look at me and they're like, look, man, I don't want to work in my business anymore. I would love to scale to 10, 15, 20 locations, create some enterprise value for my family. I can't do that doing what I'm doing. And they're mature enough because they've walked that path for a while. They're not that person who wants to prove to themselves that they can go and recreate the wheel, right? They're like, all right, I need something I can grab and scale. And franchising gives you tons of bandwidth. And by the way, if you do want to exit at some point, you're going to get a much higher multiple on your locations. As an example, like 10 locations contiguously located, much higher multiple than you would if, again, if it was just Rick's gym, right? Much higher. And so there's better enterprise value for you. There's more bandwidth. And that little bit of bandwidth can let you put all your entrepreneurial juice instead of creating the stuff into hire, you know, hire, attracting, hiring, and leading the right team. Because that's really, that's really it. Get, hire the right people, you're good to go. So that's where your entrepreneurial spirit can be manifested instead of just creating stuff. So yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the most compelling reason that, that you mentioned to do it, right? Get a chunk of them in one area. And I think when we walk people through that process and they see all the resources that we have, it's like, you know, we're going to send a real estate team into your market and help you locate the ideal spot. And we've already run the seven layer archetype, you know, criteria for real estate. And then there are rent factors, right? So we don't break the budget when we're finding something like, is it going to be too expensive to build out? Is it in the right area? Is the right ingress and egress? You know, I mean, all the things, right. That you may not consider when you just get the idea and then, you know, negotiate your LOI, send the construction team in. Right. And then we look at the lease and it's like every single thing. Do you know how to, like in my business, do you know how to run a pre-sale? I mean, we can pre-sale the gym full before you even open. It's possible. It's happened. So it's like, well, how nice would it be to open with a 100% full facility, profitable day one? Pretty darn good. So those are things that would be very difficult for you to do. And I'm using our business specifically without a franchise. So I think when you, somebody looks at that and they hear our backstory and they know we've been in business forever and we've got this track record all over the world, it's like, it, it helps bring more confidence and they think when they see all that, they're like, Ooh, there's a lot here to do that I would have to do. So I'd rather yeah. do it this way. And to be honest, Carl, a lot of our candidates come to us through like franchise consultants, which might, you know, maybe you, you know, you build your business, which I'm sure you will, you exit and then you're like, Hey, uh, I'm going to look at franchising. And maybe there's a couple of guys that have pinged you on LinkedIn. You connect with them. They get your interest. What do you want the day in the life of to look like? What's your investment threshold? And then they will bring, they've got, you know, products, if you will, franchises like mine on the shelf and they bring them forth and they say, Hey, here's, you know, here's some options for you. And if you're, you know, you work out. So if you're like, I'm fit, it means a lot to me to have a purpose. You know, I want to change people's lives. I need to get this kind of return on investment. If we tick all those boxes, then we're the one that gets presented to the candidate. And we're usually, there's usually three or four in the mix that kind of fit that criteria. Not always fitness. Sometimes it's us and a roofing company, you know, it's weird how the the different franchises line up. But I think when they, when they go through that process and they might already be thinking, Hey, franchise, um, it makes it pretty easy. And I mean, we're, I mean, obviously sales are hot and heavy right now. We'll probably do another 16 or you know, 16, maybe 20, but just this month. So it's going fast. And, uh, thankfully people recognize that you know, it's a 
great business to be in. We can provide good return on investment, but, and also has purpose. And I think it's really important to a lot of folks these days. So yeah, that's a long-winded answer, but I think, you know, when you, when you really look at all the assets and, and the processes and everything we have in place, it's not hard for people to be like, yeah, this is probably better than me going it alone. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some compelling points there, brother. How can people stay plugged in with you and just, you know, learn more if it's something that they actually want to take a little bit of, of a serious look at? Yeah. Just hop on the website, alloyfranchise.com. If you want to know any of our personalities, you would go all over social media. I'm on social media pretty much everywhere. So you can check me out there, LinkedIn, Instagram. Come on. I think we as a company are on TikTok. I mean, I don't know much about TikTok, but <laughs> I know I have to shoot a lot of short, weird videos that our marketing company bugs me to shoot so they can put them on TikTok. But I mean, I've got like 40,000 followers over there. I'm like, I should probably log on there and check it out. Yeah. But that's what, that's what those folks do, right? But yeah, just alloyfranchise.com and it'll send you wherever you need to go. Beautiful. Well, Rick, cheers to your continued success, bro. This has been really good. Likewise. Appreciate you having me on. 